I'm SP from Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show about the general Marvel comic universe, part of the Guinea Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other hilarious and fun geeky shows at guineageeknetwork.com. Welcome to episode 246 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we run down some podcasting, community, moderating best practices. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we look forward to podcast download metrics again. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we prepare to shut it all down. Lauren, start the show now. We got to shut it down. Welcome to Better Podcasting. With a combined history of over a thousand episodes and starting as early as 2008, we are hobby podcasters through and through, just like you. That's why we are different. We minimize the money talk so that you can focus on building a better podcast. Here are the hosts for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to an all-new episode of Better Podcasting. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is the wonderful SP. You know, I just want to start this week off by saying thank you to our wonderful listeners. I have been guesting on a lot of podcasts recently. The most recent was the Geopats book podcast with Stephanie Fuscio. We talked all about the Expanse book, Leviathan Wakes. I am going to be on an audio drama at the end of March. I'll give the name of that show next week. That's a little tease. And over the past week, I spent the time recording on a Disney show with another podcaster. So a lot of great things going on. If you want either of us to guest on your show, please get a hold of us. Podcast at betterpodcasting.com. Hit us up on Twitter or on our Discord server. We would love to guest on your show. Hey, can I just say to you, by the way, I'd like to congratulate you on your 245th guest appearance on Better Podcasting. Uh, that's this this episode, right? That's right. That is why I'm starring every time. I get more money by guesting on every show. <laughs> uh, if you didn't know this, by the way, we have a back catalog that you can view at betterpodcasting.com, but we also have some other content over there. There will be more content to come. Uh, please check that out at betterpodcasting.com. There's also our companion show, the Better Podcasting Live Chat that you can check out. It is just us gabbing about podcasting for half hour or so on the off weeks that we're not recording this. And if you also have had something go wrong with your podcast and you have saved your podcast, we would love it if you would send us a How I Saved My Podcast story. Bundle it up into either text or audio or video and send it to us and we will be happy to play that or read it out on a future episode of Better Podcasting. You can send that to podcast at betterpodcasting.com. Building a community around your show is one of the key foundations to a hobby podcast. With a hobby podcast, you are not podcasting to develop a business relationship, sell advertisements, or create direct revenue. In general, a hobby podcast is created for fun or passion of your show's theme or topic. And a hobby podcast is created to share your content to others that will enjoy the show and to join others that think similarly or are, quote, like-minded, unquote. 
If there is enough interest in discussion surrounding the show, a great way to continue to cultivate relationships and even grow the show's audience in through a central meeting hub or online community. Online communities can be a great sources for interaction, idea sharing, organization for events, and for feedback for your show. These are all great reasons for you to create a community space around your show. However, with any group online, there is always the possibility of bots, spam, aggressive disagreements, cyberbullying, and content that just isn't relevant for the group. Creating an online community is a lot like opening up a permanent party in your house. It's your responsibility to make sure everyone is safe, no one gets hurt, and there's no fighting. Just like there is in Stephen's house. <laughs> so how do you do all that? You do it through a little term that we say moderation. Now, we've briefly discussed social media group moderation in a download on Better Podcasting episode 107, but it was more focused on the singular issue of moderators interacting within the community. We've also discussed a little bit about communities in the past. In episode 81, we scratched the surface on building a community, focusing largely on measuring community success and ways to help drive the success. In episode 197, we talked primarily on deciding if you want a community, and we scratched the surface on moderation and shaping the community. However, today, we want to take all this further. Since a podcast community relies on activity to be successful, we want to go further into the weeds and really discuss the day in and day out aspect in depth podcast community moderation in a broader sense. In this episode, we'll talk about when you might think about creating a dedicated online community for your show and the fact that you might already have one without knowing it. We'll run down the infrastructure you want to create with your online community and how moderation needs to be considered. We'll touch upon who you would want moderating the community. We'll cover what you want to be doing as a moderator periodically in the community. We'll discuss some best practices of moderating a community, and we'll talk about what you will want to have in place if you decide to retire from your community moderating position. Stephen? If you are podcasting the, quote, right way, unquote, you already have an online community. What? Yeah, yeah, don't worry. We'll get back to that and what it means in a second. But first, you're saying to yourself, Stephen, SP, I'm new to better podcasting. What is this online podcast community that you speak of? Well, we have an answer for you to that. Think of it as a place that your listeners can go when they aren't listening to your show. It's essentially an extension of your podcast. It's basically a space or a subspace that you create online as a digital gathering point for your listeners to accomplish any number of things. It can be a place to give you feedback for your show. Now, it's worth noting that there are plenty of other places that you can accomplish this. For example, iTunes. Yes, SP and I both have iTunes installed to our Windows computers, so we will absolutely call it iTunes. You can also get feedback through Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and Amazon and basically anywhere else that your podcast is published. Listeners can review them and provide you feedback. But 
online podcasting communities take this feedback to a whole other level. It moves it from being a one-way street to being an interaction that goes both ways between your podcast and your listeners about that feedback. It's not just a place that they are going to give you information and there's nothing else that comes from that. It's that communication. But communities are not just a place to gather feedback as well. No, online podcast communities can be used for your audience to communicate with each other directly. Believe it or not, while podcast listeners do like you and probably continue to subscribe to your podcast because they like you, they may not want to just talk with you or hear just your voice in their head. They probably want to talk to other like-minded individuals that share the same passion about your show's subject matter. Yes, this can be accomplished in other general social media platforms like Twitter or Facebook that have publicly available timelines. But specific podcast communities are more intimate, like how we say podcasting is an intimate thing. And it basically streamlines all of this content to the community interactions. And to many listeners, this can be considered a little bit more of a safer space than just the big, broad, general social media presences of things like Twitter and Facebook. This is partially because of the moderation aspect of the community. With something like Twitter or Instagram, the rules are established by the organization that builds the said platform. Although there are limited opportunities like privacy and blocking features, ultimately, the platform is shaped by the community that is in the platform. So you're really limited on how you shape that conversation. But with a podcast community, you're creating this community for the podcast and you are going to shape how that interaction happens based off of the rules that you set or that the creator of the podcast community sets. But rules do need to be followed for them to be effective, which is where that moderation is going to come in and be a critical part of shaping your podcast community. We will come back to that in a minute. Now, continuing with the benefits of podcast communities, you can post ancillary content to your show, such as images or hyperlinks in real time as they become available versus having to wait for the next episode's show notes. I think this is something that has actually shifted significantly up on the benefits list since the last time we spoke about podcast communities. With the introduction of more mainstream listening platforms and the continued evolution of where people are listening to podcasts, it is becoming increasingly difficult to funnel feedback through one endpoint, especially when you consider the social media fracture in recent years with people literally shutting down their social media accounts for various reasons. The days of assuming everyone has a Facebook are simply gone. This makes it difficult to assume that the listener has access to your show notes. For example, smart speakers. If you can create a neutral location that you are trying to funnel your listeners to, this can be the guaranteed location that listeners can get that additional content. Basically, it helps break down the walls between Facebook and Twitter, Instagram and Snapchat, or Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And lastly, you can have slightly off-topic but parallel conversations to your podcast or even have a group of podcasts in separate threads that relate with one each other in the same community. 
Now, examples of a dedicated online podcast community space in 2021 are many. We'll just go over a list of some. There's online forums, which they're difficult to start in this day and age and maintain, but are still an option and are still used. Right, Stephen? Yeah. There's also Discord servers like the one that we always talk about, which is technically the Gunna Geek Discord server, but you can go to betterpodcasting.com slash Discord for that. There are also Facebook groups, subreddits, Slack groups, Voxer, which is audio only and pretty neat if you think about it. You also have Patreon, which is a crowdfunding app, but can still be used as an online community. I'm a patron of several YouTube sailing channels and they use it to communicate to their core group of people. Also, YouTube memberships, by the way, if you're not familiar with those, they're very similar to Patreon. It provides a members only community, but people have to pay to get in there. So and you reap some financial benefits from it. We have no experience actually operating either, but I just wanted to throw them out there because I'm an end user of both. And here's the crazy thing, by the way, if you are using your better podcasting advice, you probably already have an online podcast community. We've mentioned this several times. I bet you are on your tippy toes, teased, just wanting to know what this community is that you already have. It's your podcast website. If you have the ability to comment on your posts on your podcast website, that can be considered a podcast online community as well. The comment section may make dialogue a little bit more difficult and slow, but it's not impossible. Many creators, such as authors, use their website as their community just like this. And yes, you'll need to think about moderating a website too. Maybe not as actively as some of the other online communities we've already discussed, but it's worth noting that website communities can be a little bit more prone to non-community-based moderation. For example, websites are often hit with bots meant for spamming, comment sections, and et cetera, et cetera, when you think about it. And we discussed podcast websites before. Your podcast website could be a dedicated site, like a WordPress-enabled website. It could be Wix or Squarespace. We would probably advocate WordPress here. But it could also be a space that your podcast media hosting service provides as well. Podbean provides you a website, for example. Now, outside of your podcast website, which we would recommend that you have one available when you start your show, we talked about it before. When should you think about starting your online podcast community around your show, Stephen? Well, there's really no hard and fast rule. But if you start it too early, it could potentially look like a dead zone where potential new users will come check it out and leave because it is a void of nothingness. If you start it too late, though, your community might have already started their own non-official fan page or found intre that interest elsewhere. So a good rule of thumb would be somewhere in the middle. But what does this look like? When you look at interaction and feedback for any show, it's somewhere between 1% to 5% of your listeners that will be interested in actually communicating with you about your podcast. But here's where those IAB podcast measurement guideline 2.0 come in handy. If you want roughly 20 initial members in your community from your direct podcast listening core, and you assume that 3% of your listeners will join your community, that means you'll need about 700 listeners to each podcast episode in the first 30 days before you should even think about starting a podcast online community. 
And we know that what you're saying, you're saying, guys, that's a really high number for podcast listeners. And I'm not sure if I'll ever get that many listeners to my show. Remember, this was just a starting guideline. And based on a lot of sort of it depends, your listeners might be more active than other listeners. That's the thing about hobby podcasts. A lot of times we are doing it out of a passion. And sometimes that leads to a little bit of a niche pocket. And that niche pot. Uh, pocket might be more prone to checking out a community. So you might find that you have a lot higher percentage than that one to 5% of listeners. On the other hand, they might be less active and you might need to look for other indicators like how many replies are you getting on your social media posts? How many feedback emails do you really receive? How many voicemails do you get? These are all things to consider how active your community is. Because if you're getting very, very minimal interaction elsewhere, I think the reality is you're not going to have a lot of people flocking to your podcast community. So it really does depend on your specific podcast listenership. And if you don't think you have enough of a base to create your own community, consider joining another community to see how they operate. For example, the Gunna Geek Network. It can be a great place to test the waters and perhaps even pick up a few new listeners along the way. But keep in mind that you should join a community with honest intentions and you should be there to help mutually build the community, not just there to promote your stuff. If you go into a community with this mindset, you'll probably find yourself on the other side of moderation and you give your podcast a black eye in the process. No one wants you linking your podcast right away in their community. And they definitely don't want you pseudo spamming, i.e. constantly mentioning your podcast or trying to relate your podcast to the topic at hand. It's a huge turnoff. And no matter how creative you think you are, you're not going to fool anyone and they will look down in your post and possibly remove them. For more information on what's involved in joining the Gunna Geek Network, which Better Podcasting is part of, you can check out gunnageek.com slash join. Just wanted to mention that since we were talking about the Gunna Geek Network. I also want to say that there is a rule out there, the 80-20 rule, where you actually promote at 70-30-80-20, where you promote your stuff a lot less than you actually contribute to the community. So you should probably think in terms of that once you enter into a community. But now we're starting to get into the thick of today's conversation, Stephen, podcast community management and moderation. Once you decide to start a community or even become a part of another online podcasting community, it's time to lay down some community foundation. This foundation is going to consist of both technical aspects and guidelines. However, it's all going to be intertwined with the management of your podcast community in some way or another. Let's start off with branding. It's always a consideration. So look into what sort of graphics you'll need as you set up that podcast community. Some online communities are more demanding than others for graphics, but whatever is needed to make the space seem more like an extension of your show or your your brand, you should try to insert this somewhere at the beginning of your podcast community. As you do this, you need to think about what sort of content you're going to want on your community and what sort of content you're going to want to avoid on your community. And your graphics should reflect this as such. For example, 
If you're planning to create a very, very clean community, it's probably not the smartest thing in the world to create art artwork for your community with revealing imagery, gory pictures, or other NSFW content. This would really send the wrong message to the people checking out your community right off the bat. They are going to look at that and then not maybe realize that you have rules that contrast this imagery. So your imagery and your graphics really need to reflect sort of the vision for your community, which takes us to that next point. Before you open up your new podcast community to your audience, think about what you want the space to be. What's the purpose for the community? And write this down. Now, this will allow you to craft not only the structure of your community with different tag posts, channels, or workspace, but also to consider the do's and don'ts. If possible, make this public to make sure that each member understands the bounds of what the space is meant for. This will ultimately save both you and your audience some time and possible heartache in the future. Now, one of the reasons it's important to write this down is so that you can not only have it for reference as you build your outlining materials to support your community, but you can actually spell it out. For example, we tell everyone on Better Podcasting that we have the focus on hobby podcasts. It means somebody joining our community, and if they complain that we don't talk enough about making money with your podcast, then quite frankly, we don't care and we won't put any stock into their feedback. Sorry, but it's just the way things are. They have joined the wrong community for what they are looking for. But if we were to build ourselves as discussing everything you need to do to make a successful podcast, then we would be sending the wrong message because successful podcasts include both hobbyists and professional and independents and really every sort of podcast out there. Now that you have the space looking nice and you have a purpose for your online podcasting community, it's time to consider the do's and don'ts. Consider our basic online decency rules and etiquette, right, Stephen? Yeah, this includes things like how much maple syrup is appropriate to go on a stack of pancakes. How many times do you need to swear your allegiance to the queen? How many moose actually are in all of Canada. These are the sorts of decency things that you want to think about as you build your house rules and etiquette. <laughs> no, is that wrong? Is that wrong, SP? <laughs> wow, you got me on that one, Stephen. Oh, no. Consider basic online decency rules and etiquette. This should address such issues as being respectful of regarding spam, personal attacks, online bullying, hate speech, and posts designed to advocate for violence. That's what we're talking about here. But other rules could be very specific to your theme and or the topic of your platform you built the community on. For example, and, and this is a hot button, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Do you want politics discussion or not? It depends on your theme. What will be the point that you think somebody crossed into that? That's a good question. Whether you want it in there, what is the level of talk that you want in there? So make sure you have that out there, because if you don't want it in there, you have to have a rule on it. 
Other questions that you want resolved by the rules or do's and don'ts is how should a member request assistance? Is recording allowed in the voice areas of your community? Can you post affiliate links? Is not safe for work or NSFW content allowed or not? Are you okay with swearing? If yes, let me ask you this. Are you really okay with swearing? Because it can get pretty bad. Keep in mind regional differences. This is something that we dealt with ourselves because Canada and the United States are different and even different regions in Canada are different. So you really have to pay attention to this. And your podcast online community is supposedly, since you are publishing your podcast, it's worldwide. So just keep in mind those regional differences. Are people allowed to talk about, quote, the competition, unquote? Do you want negativity about your topic? For example, say you do a podcast on a TV show. Are you okay with somebody constantly dogging on that show in a non-constructive way? This is important. It's also important to think about diversity of thought and bringing in contrary opinions, but are you okay with somebody constantly dogging on that show in a non-constructive way in your podcasting space? So whatever these rules are, make sure that you post them and they have to be visible to everyone. These cannot only be invaluable for making sure people have clear expectations on behavior, but it can make moderation a lot easier when it's time. Right, Stephen? Absolutely. Instead of writing a big, long post explaining the situation, if something does come up, you can simply direct the user to the posted rules when you go to moderate that content. It can make a conversation more black and white if you've posted these rules in a clear spot that are visible to everybody. And sometimes it can actually make this conversation, well, quite frankly, less of a conversation. At first, you might think to yourself, well, a conversation's always a little bit better for enabling your community to flourish. But here's the thing. There will be some offenders that come in and just push the line as far as they can. And these people, they generally know what they, they're doing. They know that there's a rule and they're trying to skirt that rule. And they can be really detrimental to your community. Dealing with these people in a less conversational manner can be a very effective moderation tactic. You're basically just sticking to the facts of your community and you're not giving them the fight that they want. You're not feeding the trolls if you just simply link them to the rules and say this violates the rules. But no matter what rules you have established down the line, you may need to add more rules or modify the existing rules and that's totally okay. You do it, you inform the group, and it's how you interact with your group about these rules that will make a difference. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a few more minutes. You remember how a second ago I said that there are people who will try to game the system? Well, this is where that rule amending does come into play. When people try to game the system, it is important it refer back to the purpose of the community. And if the member is doing something that is beneficial to the purpose of the community or is being detrimental, you need to consider that. You need to decide where the action falls and act appropriately based off of that question. If you do need to make a new rule, it's okay. Go ahead and make the rule and make that a clearer distinction going forward with your community. Remember, Ultimately, this is your podcast community space, and it needs to be molded the way that you 
want the community to work. The last thing we want to mention is that when you're considering all these variables, you should really consider diversity, including the international listener base. Now, contrary to what some people might think, podcasting is not just American, Canadian, or any other specific region. Yes, you may have a topic or a community that lends itself more towards a specific region, but in general, podcasts can be listened to all across the world. As you consider your ground rules that will shape your community, try to look at your community from an international perspective. For example, there are some communities out there that border on just being flat out poorly handled because they take a very regional approach to their duties. As such, they handle situations with a heavy hand that are reflective of their region only. They operate in a manner that only looks at the situation from one point of view. Now, this is your community, so you can do with it what you want and shape it to whatever region you want. However, when you operate in this capacity, you need to be aware of the cons. You're going to be alienating regions that don't follow these same cultural norms. Now, a sign of a well-managed community is when those in charge can handle situations in a manner that follows the community rules in a fair manner based on objectively assessing the situation, even if it doesn't line up with their personal beliefs. But we'll expand on that in a few minutes. While a community should overall reflect you, after all, this is your community. We keep on saying that. It's important to remember that a community is more than just you. And as such, it's not realistic to think that everyone will allow or follow the same exact beliefs as you. I have a little story to sort of illustrate this point, and I'll make it fast. But there is a community that I do sometimes come across and I read. It's an online forum. I won't say the name of it, but it is all to do with a certain security camera system. And unfortunately, the way that this community operates is that they've kind of become a de facto support for a certain product. And again, I, I won't connect the dots too much. And so that's why I find myself going across that community quite a bit, because there's a lot of good information that comes up when I search. The problem is that the people who are running that community are very close-minded of what security cameras should be used. And if someone comes in and they ask a question that is related to the product, but is not using the security cameras that they generally recommend, well, let's just say that the management is very passionate about their response and usually ends up just rudely blaming the person and their decision that they made. And they don't address the actual question. They just basically say, poor choice that you made. And in my searches, I've come across places like Reddit, where there is a plethora of people who have shared their poor experiences over on that community because they just got shot down when they asked an innocent question. It's really an example about the downside of running a community with tunnel vision based off of your personal beliefs. It's not welcoming and it can drive people away, which is why sometimes you got to open up things a little bit into other mindsets and, of course, considering the international market and the regional differences. And we mention this because we do think that it's important that you consider the diversity when you're establishing those rules for your community. It can be a huge factor in making sure you are driving community engagement. If you try to make your rules too detailed or too focused on your personal opinion, it can really stifle the conversation happening in your podcast community. 
In the beginning, as you set up your podcasting online community, you might only need yourself as a moderator. However, as time passes and maybe your community grows and activity increases in the community, you'll have to consider bringing on a larger moderation team. Now, perhaps you'll need worldwide coverage. Some communities are active 24 hours a day, but not all. Our friend Chris Farrell, who is a moderator on such a community, talks about this all the time. Perhaps you have too much going on and need multiple moderators to handle different aspects of your community and moderation. Now, whatever the reason, if it's time to bring on more people to moderate, we have some considerations for you. Community moderators generally come from two points of view, and ideally both. Now, the first point of view is an active member or user of your community. The second point of view is somebody who is already an experienced moderator. Ideally, your choice of moderator will have both, but it's not possible all the time. In either of these cases, there are additional considerations, such as the ability of the person to think with common sense, the communication skills of the individual. Is the person like-minded or diverse enough to provide a valid but contrary opinion to share? What worldwide time zones can the individual cover if you need that? Now, this is where that international flavor can come in. If you can have multiple regions represented, you sometimes help avoid conflict where there not be, just because of the regional difference. Now, once you identify the person after you look at your available candidates, decide on what your hiring practices are going to be. Do you want an online interview? What are your expectations of the moderator? Consider even putting things down in writing, even though this is most likely just a volunteer position for your hobby community, this is to avoid misunderstandings for the most part, but it can also lead to a basis for future actions if needed against the moderator. So when you're starting out, it is beneficial to try to lean on people that you already have relationships with. This is because you've already vetted them to a degree, but further, they can help you assess potential outside moderators when the time comes. It's another pair of trusted eyes to look at the applicants. Now, once you've hired the new moderator, then it's time to do a trial run. If the platform you're using can limit the permissions of a moderator, take advantage of it as a probationary period. Make sure this is going to work out for both of you. And if there are other existing moderators, make sure everyone can communicate civilly with each other. And ideally, you will have a long-lasting relationship with the moderator through the community already. After all, odds are they came from your community and you want to succeed both of you as much as each other does. While there are situations that you might have somebody outside the community become a moderator, the reality is that outside help is often met with resistance by the community. It's like a new boss coming into your workplace from outside the organization and undoing everything established. New bosses love to do this. Sure, they might have a right to do it, but it's frankly not good for engagement. It ruins the mojo of what's going on in the community. Of course, eventually things will change over time. And this applies to you as well if you have joined someone else's moderation team. Life happens, interests change, and perhaps the community has evolved into something that is at odds with you or another moderator on your team. Not to mention moderators can just be bad at being moderators. This is why it's important to accomplish a periodic evaluation 
for deciding if you want to continue to moderate or they want to continue to moderate, or if the podcast online community is yours conducting periodic evaluations of the entire moderation team. Once the community is set up and your moderation team is in place, this doesn't have to happen so frequently. It doesn't have to be each week or each month. Maybe you establish a six-month period. That's often a good time to really formally check in with everybody. Some evaluation criteria for yourself as you have these check-ins include if a moderator on your team cannot even check in from time to time, is it maybe time to move them on from the community? Has the moderator taken appropriate action in different situations? For example, has the moderator taken too much action when something has come up? Or flip side, have they taken too little action? Did the moderator check in with the rest of the moderation team before they took a very controversial action? To double tap on what we alluded to earlier, a set-minded, heavy-handed moderator can really stifle your community. Is a moderator getting along with the other moderators? That can be very, very bad for your community as well. And for this last part that we're talking about right now, we do want to say that it is okay to have disagreements. You don't need all of your moderators getting along 100% of the time on 100% of the situations. Diversity of thought is very useful to have as a tool in your toolbox when it comes to moderation. Again, there's a whole bunch of different considerations, especially when you look at the international audience. And the ability to remain civil, if not friends, while having a disagreement is in itself a great moderator skill to have. But if there is an outright conflict between moderators, it's time to remove the tension and restore some normalcy for everyone's sake with that community. Even though you're going to have an established schedule or check-in period, it is important that you are fluid with these schedules in a manner that best helps your community. Essentially, you want to be prepared to handle situations as come up in a timely manner. If you have a moderator who is taking actions that are hurting your community, you don't want to sit back and wait for that six-month check-in. No, you probably want to address it right away. And if you do decide to sit back and wait, you're probably going to lose some community members as you wait. People come to an online hobby podcast community for fun. I know, shocking, fun involved with a hobby podcast. They don't want to feel belittled or just put down, I know, same thing, uh, by the community staff. But let's move on a second here. Podcast online community moderation is not all about the strategic moves. There's actually day-to-day -day activity to take care of. As such, we've assembled some podcast online community best practices to help you through your actions, interactions, and chores. The first recommendation that we have for your moderation team is to have a back room where all the moderators can communicate. In this backroom area, you can establish and post moderation best practices for the community. You can discuss issues as they arise because not everything will fall neatly into the rules or everyone will interpret the rules the same. So you're going to have some discussions about that. Also, you can post your moderation standard operating procedures. This is going to include how to moderate comments, to remind your moderators to be fair and equitable when moderating, 
and to remind moderators that regular users or members of your community can be easily overlooked as far as the rule following goes. But these regular users should also be reminded of the rules, just like the occasional or burner accounts are. Keep that in mind. While them hotshot young whippersnappers might look at their admin Discord channel and think, wow, look at this amazing idea we've come up with. We're geniuses. The reality is this back channel has been a staple of communities for years, even predating the Internet. Now, back in the day, Stephen, you ran a few online forums, didn't you? Yeah, there was always two hidden forums. There was one little section there for the admins and one for the moderators as well. It's not a new idea at all. And to take it a further step, back in the day, my dad, I remember this, he was involved with one of them community clubhouses and he got involved with the, I don't know what you call it, management team for a while. And what did they have? They had individual meetings to discuss the community situation and the standings, essentially that back-channel communication that was in person. This was at the early days or maybe predating the internet. I don't know. But, but this is not a new concept at all. And we mention that because it has been such a critical part of running a community that you should really make sure you've got it. Now, to avoid stepping over each other's toes and to ensure that actions do get accomplished, it is always wise to give each moderator a primary job. And each job, by the way, should have at least one backup. What are those jobs are? Well, it depends on what your community is. It could be as simple as checking posts and comments for spam, but it could also take some care of larger community infrastructure, like how the group is organized. Make sure as a moderator, this is as an individual that you check the community at least daily, unless you're on vacation or you're out of touch with the internet. You might even think about putting a community post or comment notification alert in place in your backroom area. You might actually be accessing the backroom more than you are accessing the community. This will allow for quick or quicker, at least identification of potential issues. Now be respectful, thoughtful, and helpful in all communications. This includes not only messages to users and members, but also to moderator to moderator discussions and communications. This is just general niceties of communication. You're, the essence of the community is you're communicating with each other. So be thoughtful, helpful, and respectful in all these interactions. Now, especially this includes community member or user requests to the moderators. Now, maybe they want a new area opened up or a new controversial topic to be discussed and are acting permission for to do it first. Now, these are interactions that you're going to have to go back and forth and be kind to each other as you're asking, because sometimes it can be uh, tension with these interactions. Encourage and praise positive community interactions. Niceness goes a long way. Even if the exchange itself was already nice and pleasant to begin with, if you continue the niceness in the interaction, it really does go a long way. Maybe even think about sending personal notes to new members as they enter into the community. And instead of walking into a, think about this, Stephen, instead of walking into a group or community cold, a direct message from a moderator to welcome you as a new user or member, it can be very beneficial. First of all, it sets the tone for positive interactions. And secondly, it identifies at least someone as a group moderator to the new person. 
and it potentially can help identify how the person found out about your community and their desire to join. You have a little back and forth conversation at the beginning there. So ever so often as a moderator or moderation team, you should provide community-wide communication. This includes periodic posts to update the community. You can celebrate community-wide wins, like 100 members in the community or 1,000 or we've been a community for two years or something like that. Those are big wins. Inform the community when a change is taking place. It's never good to be part of a community. You wake up the next morning, the community has completely changed. And you're like, what happened? And there's no announcement. You're like, did I just like skip a year of my life? I don't know, understand what's happening. So if you inform the community when a change is taking place, then you prevent people from really being jarred by a change in the community. Although here it is, as a general rule, never call out a single user for corrective action. You know, you can have that backroom talk between, you know, the direct message or whatever for a corrective action. But if there is an action that needs to be addressed to the community, do so fairly and state what the community corrective action is being taken and why. Some of these issues are so pervasive that the entire community gets involved. It's unfortunate, but it does happen. So you want to take that 1v1 discussion outside of the community, but still, since there are remnants of that discussion or whatever happened inside the community, you want to address it with the whole community. And finally, as a moderation team, it is your job to provide the community the tools it needs to succeed. For example, a frequently asked question area could help lessen the amount of moderations you're going to have to perform or questions you'll have to answer. And a community wiki might help reduce the amount of basic community questions that get asked. Here's something that might seem controversial, but I'm going to lay it out anyway. A directory of members and users with contact information might be beneficial depending on the community and the internet privacy desired by everyone. So you have to keep those in mind. Now, all these moderation best practices are designed to help you succeed as a moderator and your podcast online community succeed in its purpose. So keep these in mind as you're setting up your community. And we have a couple more sections we're going to touch on here. And the next one is moderation retirement transition, because both of us have been involved for a long time in being parts of podcast communities, if not fully running podcast communities. And in that time, we've seen a lot of communities rise and fall and some rise and fall again. And in that time, we've seen a lot of podcast moderators come and go. Inevitably, it will be time for someone in your team to move on and retire from moderating your community. If you have a community moderation team of one, that means it's time to shut down the community. But if you have a team of moderators, then that community will continue if someone moves on. First, when you're considering your moderators, always be training replacements. If someone in your team knows how to do your job, it will make it easier if you step down as well. Keep in mind what people's responsibilities are and keep in mind training their replacements. It'll help ensure continuity of moderation activities. Was there something you were doing periodically that you're not sure that anyone else is doing? it'd be a good idea to ensure that someone knows how to do that thing. This can be done with a continuity plan or guideline or best practices posted in that back room. But keep a pulse on everybody else. Like we said, their 
tasks. Unfortunately, the transition period that you might often find in workplaces often doesn't translate to hobby communities. This is because hobbyists sometimes fade and fade without notice. And next thing you know, they're gone. On the flip side, sometimes people just leave right there and then without warning. If a moderator is running a critical part of your community, you want to be able to replace them as needed and not have to start from the ground up. Make sure someone has all of the community permissions if you're stepping down so that you don't accidentally lock everybody out of that. Or if somebody is leaving, make sure that they're not leaving with a bunch of permissions that's going to lock out your community. And lastly, you might want to consider a transition period if you can get that or give that if you're the one stepping down so that there is more continuity as this transition happens. The final part that we want to mention here is moderating the moderators, including the consideration of sanctions or control. Now, you need to be careful of how much power you give moderators if this is your community. For example, if you give a moderator too much power and they get upset, can they take down your entire community? Can they erase it? You should really give only admin level access to your most trusted people. And even so, it's a good idea to keep backup plans in place in case something goes wrong. Now, in an ideal world, you'll have the ability to back up your community and keep it as a protection in case something happens like this. But unfortunately, with many platforms nowadays, you actually have no way to back up the platform. So instead, it's better to limit control where possible. An important consideration when it comes to giving people power in your community is the consideration of the private information of your members. If you're building a community on a platform where you have access to things like personal email addresses, personal contact information of any kind, you need to treat that private information with respect and, of course, according to the laws that affect you, which, since this is a worldwide community, they might be worldwide laws. This might mean that you need to have written ground rules for the moderating team. And depending on your location, you might need written agreements from anyone on your team that has access to this private information. This is why it's a good practice to outline the expectations of the moderators or the admin team of your podcast community. And when you do so, consider what type of information this team will have access to. Make sure it's documented, how it is expected that this information is treated, and of course, this information should be kept behind closed doors, for example, in that back channel that we spoke about earlier. Ultimately, you should always be left having the most power or control out of the community, if it's your community. And you should never put yourself in a situation where somebody can remove you as an admin and take over your community. And if you think this sounds crazy, well... Back in the day, it was the early 2000s, I was helping somebody that I knew through the internet run an online forum, and unfortunately, uh, he did have to get deployed. He was in the service, and he lost his community while he was away because somebody did that to him. He never got it back, and because it was a hobby, like your hobby podcast, you got to weigh the pros and cons if something happens, and it did not financially makes sense for him to legally pursue it. And so he lost 
the community and they moved on without him. So, you know, it can happen and it's unfortunate. And that's why earlier we said, try to have those trusted players involved in your moderation team. It's important that you consider that your moderating team will become a bit of a voice for you since they're helping run the community, whether you want it or not. Community members will often see them as a representative of you. And that's why you need to make sure that your team is working to accomplish the community goals. Remember when we told you that you should consider that you want the purpose of your community to be whatever that is. And when we told you that you should consider what sort of content you want in there, your moderating team needs to be aligned with this vision. And if they're not, they might not be the right fit for you and your team. This means that as the head of your community, not only will you have to spend time managing your community interactions, you're also going to have to spend time managing your moderating team. This is a careful balance that takes time. If you spend not enough time in your community, your community might become somebody else's vision. If you spend not enough time on your moderators, they might not help support your vision. Wow. This is the end of our segment. And we've had two shows in a row with a ton to discuss. We started off discussing when you might want to think about creating a dedicated online community for your show and that your podcast website might already be one. We framed the infrastructure you will want to consider as you create your podcast online community. We helped you with criteria as you select your moderation team. We recommended that you take care of some periodic moderation household chores and evaluate both your willingness to moderate and to look at the status of your entire podcast community moderation team. In classic Better Podcasting style, we ran down some podcast online community best practices. And we also helped you think about retiring, possibly, from podcast community moderation. So if you listener have any thoughts about podcast online community moderation that we didn't cover, or maybe some additional thoughts on what we did cover, we want to hear from you. We have an email podcast at betterpodcasting.com. We have a discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash discord. There you can hit us up on Twitter at betterpod. And if you give us that feedback, we will make sure that we use it on an upcoming show. This is the better podcasting download. We've got a quick pick today, but something that I think is worth putting on our listeners' radar, because you know this is going to be the buzzwords coming out soon, and it's the IAB Guidelines 2.1 Draft. Yeah, the draft version 2.1 for the IAB Podcast Measurement Guidelines has been out for comment for quite some time, but there were no comments to it, and according to Pod News. There was a feedback email address that didn't actually work and it bounced to an unknown error and stuff like that. It's unfortunate. But the point is, we've been talking a lot about the IAB Podcast Measurement Guidelines 2.0. They are working on revising that to 2.1. And the important part is that these podcast measurement guidelines actually are important even to your hobby podcast. We've said that all along. It standardizes the podcast download and listening statistics across everybody who is certified, or at least it should. So that means that you can compare your numbers with somebody else's numbers, or you at least have a static way to compare your own show over time. 
And Stephen, it looks like they are amending those guidelines as we go forward. Yeah, I think that as you think about the IAB guideline draft that is going on right now, you need to think a little bit about how often your podcast comes out. Because if you are putting out your podcast a lot, then you probably would prefer to serve the IAB guidelines by draft as opposed to just getting in a bottle or a can. That's the type of draft we're talking about, right? No, in fact, that is not the draft that we're talking about. No, no, it's like an early work of the actual what's actually going to be out there. That makes more sense. Right. And it's just important as you look at the space. It's one of those space standardizations that affect all podcasts, even hobby podcasts. So we just want to bring it up that they're looking at revising them a little bit. I'm not going to comment on what might or might not be in there because who knows what's going to be in the final draft or the approved draft of version 2.1 or whenever that is going to be. I just want to say to everyone that this is a evolve. This is the first major evolution in this since it came out a few years ago. So I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of benefits it has for hobby podcasters and, and we'll see when they actually come out. This is where we here at Better Podcasting turn the show over to you as we run through some of your feedback. We call this segment Better Podback. All right. I guess this is the time that we announced the shutdown, right? We talked at the beginning of this that we need to shut it down, right? That's right. Somebody who has access to our Twitter account tweeted, yeah, obviously, how often do you restart or shut down your hashtag podcast production computer? And surprisingly, we actually got a lot of responses to that. I was surprised. There yeah, were so many. Uh, and it's such a, a weird thing, you know, some works, to, they make mandatory that you keep your computer, your work computer on because uh, they post updates to the computer overnight. And some workplaces are trying to be energy conscious. So they say, shut your computers down overnight. So that's from a workplace environment. We're talking about podcasting environment. And there's, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of podcasters out there. So there's that many opinions on what they do with their computers. So one of the first responses that we got was from an old co-host of mine at Rev Sean O'Hara. He says, only when the gods will it. So apparently he's having computer trouble again, which happened when I, I was podcasting with him. I don't know if that's true or not. I just made that up. But uh, he said, only when the gods will it. Steve Stewart, me at Steve Stewart, me says, uh, looks like once every two or three weeks. Dang. Steph Fuccio replied to that saying, whoa, I shut mine off every night. Randy Walker said, people shut down computers in 2021. Jeremy Dennis said, I tried to do it before each recording session. At MS Beavens said once or twice a week, probably should do it more often. Professional podcast editing at top tier audio said before every recording at minimum. At G-R-C-H-I-N-A-S said same thing here. Maybe once or twice a week, sometimes zero. And lastly, we had at evil zombie underscore TW say I keep it on when I'm working on it. It's off the rest of the time. Mm. I found this really interesting. Yeah. Different people have different ways to do things, and uh, I'm glad we throw it out there. It also depends on what kind of computer you have, because some of the newer computers, like the MacBooks, the newer MacBooks, do you really shut them off? I don't even know. I don't own one. 
Here's the thing. I, I used to be someone that left their computer going 24-7. Um, number one, uh, I, I don't know. We haven't mentioned her in a while, but if you were to consult Heather Welsh about computer power management, I'm sure she would tell you all about how much computer a power or how much power a computer uses. And I've done this. I've, I've had a look at how much my computer is using on standby. And definitely there is a power consideration there. However, I am a nerd, so that 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 is secondary. The big no. reason, <laughs> the big reason I started shutting mine down every night is because of the wear and tear factor. There was two real things that kind of came up. As I mentioned on the show a couple of years ago, I had a motherboard die, and I probably could have extended that quite a bit by not running it twenty four seven. And also the heat factor, because you know, I like to give it a cool down cycle. But the big thing was this past year, I really saw how much dust was in my den having working in here all the time and seeing it, um, you know, even with an air filter, I do have dust collect on the intake grill quite a bit. And so I figured that if for, I don't know, eight to, okay, I have kids, from six to 10 hours a night uh, of, of sleep, it's off, that's probably a, a good thing. And at least it's not all that dust going in for, for that time. So I do shut that off every night pretty much now. If I'm doing a save of a video, I will leave it going sometimes. Or, you know, if it's if it's a really cold, cold night, I'll leave it going because my den is noticeably warmer. <laughs> um, but other than that, I do shut it off nightly. Yeah, I've actually done power uh, trade-offs like from month to month for my electricity bill on months that just everything else is equal. And I'm definitely using more power when I leave the computer on for a month versus when I shut it off every night. I do tend to shut mine off every night. You never know when a power surge is going to come in, and I just think it's safer just to turn everything off. So I do that. But when I'm actively working on an edit, and it takes me a couple of days to get through, not days to edit, but a couple of, of work times that I can fit in in a couple of days, I tend to leave it up just so it's ready to roll when I get to the computer. So yeah, it, it really just depends on what's going on. Uh, two other quick things just to hit on before we close it off with a little special nod here. Uh, Kim Alloway in our Discord said, I can't read that without saying ZDM now. And it was quoted ZED-DEE-EM is how it was written because there was some chat about the Zoom ZDM1 and uh, as you know, I'm Canadian, so I do say Zed. So apparently I have influenced the way that Kim thinks. Honestly, even though I was born and grew up in Minnesota, which is right next to Canada, your brother was the first one that I actually talked to face to face that used the term Zed. I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I said Zed. And I was like, what? I don't what I don't understand. So your brother taught me the term Zed. I would like to say, by the way, when you sing the alphabet, I 100% agree. W, X, Y, and Z sounds way better than W, X, Y, and Z. Sounds terrible. Uh, absolutely terrible. Yeah, and you just sang the 27th letter of the alphabet, too. <laughs> oh, that's good. Come to our Discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord to find out what SP meant. Also, we had a note from Josh Liston. He said, Hey, fellow BP otters, just a random finding from my studio space here in Australia. I've had several dozen people in and out of the studio since last July, all COVID safe, of course. And the mic that sounds the best on the greatest number of podcasters, 
is the Sennheiser MD46. He's also running the Electrovoice RE20, the RE320, the Shure SM7B, and the Shure SM58s. So if you're thinking about buying a mic that's perfect for on-location interviewing and also doubles as a viable studio mic, the MD46 is now my number one recommendation for podcasting. I just can't fault it. Note, as with most all-studio broadcast-style mics, you will need a pop shield or filter with the MD46. I wanted to bring this up because this is really good information because Josh Liston, as he mentions, has been having people in and out. And this was the experience that we have seen as well with the MD46. I remember SP did a panel with um, himself. I think it was Michelle Ely, Jonathan Martin and Cody Goff, I believe, is who was on it. So so four different voices. And he used the MD46 on all of them. And when he sent me the audio to put together in the video, I, I actually wrote him and I said, wow, these sound amazing for everybody on that panel. And they reduce noise. They're right next to each other and they help cut out a bunch of it. They just, but overall, like I remember being so blown away with how well balanced they sounded on all of the voices. Now, keep in mind, because of the type of microphone it is, you will probably have to get it a little closer than some of those large dynamic uh, broadcast microphones. But yeah, I think this is awesome and great support of, uh, of the information you've actually talked about on here before. So thank you, Josh. I do like my MD46s. I own six of them. I've actually bought a few others for co-hosts along the way. Michelle Ely on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is currently using one. I think it's a great microphone. And it's been around for, I did not discover it. Uh, the MD46 has been around in podcasting since Grammar Girl was on. So it's been, and maybe even before that, I don't know, but it's a tried and true microphone. I really enjoyed it. I know people are making new microphones all the time, but the MD46 tried and true, it's, it's a little on the pricey side. So if you're looking for a budget microphone, the MD46 is not going to be for you. You can get it on sale for about $150 American. It's normally priced at $200. So you see right there, it's on the same price scale as like the Rode Caster Pro, is it? Or the, the, the Rode Procaster. I swore I would never do that. And I keep forgetting it. I, again, I will always blame road. I think somebody made a really big marketing decision when they named the road Procaster because they already had. No, when they named the Roadcaster Pro because they, all, they already <laughs> the had one. the road Procaster and then they created a device called the Roadcaster Pro. I think there was a terrible decision. And the EV RE320, which is I'm using right now, and you are using the Rode mic right now. So <laughs> it's on the same level, the MD46, the Sennheiser MD46. So just keep that in mind. It's not a cheap mic, but it is so versatile. I love using it. And I'm probably going to keep it in my go bag from now on. And I might even buy a seventh to have in my go bag and keep the six in my podcast panel bag. Uh, it's expensive and I built it up over time. I didn't buy everything at once. It was over a course of years that I bought it. Matter of fact, that panel with four of us at Indianapolis at Gen Con, the 50th anniversary of Gen Con, that was probably the first time I had all four microphones. And since then I bought a couple of others. We do have a special announcement to end the show, Stephen. Yes, we do. Uh, I was excited to hear about this today. We're recording this today on March 2nd. And that's because there is a thing called America's Next Top Podcaster. And why are we mentioning this today, SP? That is because one of our listeners and longtime friend, I've met him in person, Jeremy Dennis, is one of the 12 
I guess you call them contestants of America's top podcaster season three. The episode dropped today. They actually interview all 12 podcasters. They talk about what's going to go on in the season and what is in store for the next episode. Jeremy was messaging me privately and he said, I cannot wait to talk about this whole experience. And he's he's probably under an NDA. I have no idea. I did not press him. I don't want him to trip over anything. And since we podcast about podcasting, I wanted to be very conscious of my friendship with Jeremy. I did not want to get him in any trouble, but he is on the episode. So you can go and listen to it. We'll put the URL in the show notes. So go check it out. But the season three of America's Next Top Podcaster is now underway and Jeremy Dennis is on it. So we wish Jeremy a bunch of luck as he goes through. Uh, I I don't know if he is the most experienced. I can't remember. I listened to the episode. I, I can't remember if he's the most experienced or not, but he's been podcasting since 2013. So he's been there a while. And as I remember, at the time that this went out, they were allowing podcasters up to 10 years and I fit right underneath that because I started podcasting now 10 years and like two months ago. So I, I would have fit underneath there, but I decided not to do it because I wanted to concentrate on better podcasting and Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. and and keep that going on. But it would have been fun. I mean, being in those sorts of contests and and moving forward to working as a new podcasting team, coming up with a name for whatever your team is and that sort of thing it is, is going to be fun. So if you never listened to it before, it's a fun listen. And that is Jeremy Dennis, yakko.org, as we always say on here. And uh, congratulations on that, Jeremy. That is wonderful to hear. And if you want to hear him full time, he's on the Transmissions Podcast Network. But that is going to take us to the end of the show. Before we go, I just want to remind you, come to betterpodcasting.com slash discord to join our podcast community. Or you can go and you can follow SP around and join that private community of people who talk about me when I'm not here. I know you have a large following of people that talk about me and how much you like me. Or how much I might not like you. I mean, the people at work, they're like, SP, would you just (laughs) shut up about it? He sounds like a real rat. Why do you go? Why do you talk to him every week? I'm like, well, somebody has to talk to Canada. Might as well be me. So for episode number 246 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew using this space to say one more time, congratulations, Jeremy. And I'm SP saying stick around in another couple of weeks. We'll have another great episode. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. See ya. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.